Hey podcast listeners, this is Caroline. I'm the summer intern at Williamsburg Baptist Church this summer. And today I'm with Kathy Sadowski, who's been a longtime member here, and I'm so excited that she's agreed to join us. You're listening to Williamsburg Baptist Church Stories, where we interview members of the church and people that work here about their life and their spiritual journey. So hi, Kathy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you, Carolyn. Right, I am Kathy Sadowski. Sadowski is a married name. Uh, my maiden name is Yo, Y-O-E. So uh, I had as many problems with the last name of Yo as I have with Sadowski, spelling it for people and having it mispronounced. And of course I spell Kathy a little differently than some folks. So I have just given up worrying how people pronounce or spell my name. I'll pronounce and spell it my way, but they can do it any way they want. So not to worry, but thank you. I have been a member here since 1996. Wow. Yes. Um, And that's actually quite young compared to some of the people in this church who have been here since the 50s or 60s. Right. Um, But it is long enough to have been through one, two, three. I'm on my fourth pastor um, here at Williamsburg Baptist Church, and I have loved all of them. And so that's been a wonderful experience. Um, But of course, it's not just the pastor that makes a church, it's the people. And um, I often remind certain people that it was your mother that convinced us to join this church, um, (laughs) something she said or did. Mm. Um, And so it's, it's, it's been a long while, and I've been active in a variety of different ways, uh, but it was only because I have been essentially retired all those years. I did do some work still in Washington, D.C. in the first 10 years uh, that we lived here, but... Uh, basically, I never volunteered for anything or served in a church function ever until moving here to Williamsburg and being wow. retired. Um, I had a wonderful model for church service from both my mother and my father. I'm from Lawrence, Kansas. And I grew up in uh, a church that is part of the United Church of Christ, uh, a congregational church. And uh, my father was always active with financial matters, and he was the head usher for many years. um, There was sort of a joke that if you saw Tom Yo coming towards you with a carnation in his hand, it meant you were going to be a substitute usher today. (laughs) And he needed you to be an usher. Um, My mother joked that he loved that job because it meant he didn't have to sit down and listen to the sermon. He was always active doing (laughs) something. But um, he was faithful. My mother served both in children's ministry and in the thrift shop. They had a thrift shop. Uh, Lawrence, Kansas is a college town and has an enormous uh, foreign student population at the university. And they found that there were a lot of foreign students who didn't realize it was going to get cold in Kansas. Mm. 
So they had started a thrift stop, shop with donated clothing, and um, it became quite a place to go to look for, even in the 1960s, vintage clothing, um, as well as other items. My mother never purchased a dress out of a department store for all those years because she, of course, was got first dibs on things that came in. Someone else would value them and she would pay for them, but, you know, she'd pay a fifth of what she would for a new right. dress or coat. And um, she felt that this was just the best way to do things. Um, and the money, of course, provided for their missions uh, programs. They're both uh, faithful servants. But when I was a teenager uh, in the late 1960s, I got bored with church like many teenagers do. I got active with many other things. I had part-time jobs and it was just, oh, mom, I'm too tired to go this morning. And also we had a youth minister who, who wanted to be cool as youth mm -hmm. ministers always do in whatever way um, they think is appropriate. But he spent a lot of time telling us kids how we should not do drugs. Mm -hmm. And I sort of felt I understood that I did not need to do drugs. And why should I go to church on Sunday morning to hear it again? And so I dropped out of church from the time I was about 14. Really, until I met my husband-to-be, Ed Sadowski. Um, I did occasionally go to church, especially when I was traveling because church was a good place to get warm sometimes. <laughs> I'm thinking of a, a very cold January Sunday in Edinburgh, uh, Scotland, where I went to church about three times at different uh, big churches. But, and I always felt I wanted to go to church, but I lived with family members in Northern Virginia who did not go to church. They would not have stopped me or ridiculed me or anything like that, um, my cousin and her family. But um, there was no motivation right. to get me there mm -hmm. on Sunday mornings. But once I met Ed and he, uh, this is supposed to be about me, but I will tell uh, no, one don't. of the reasons I admire my husband so much is that when he and his first wife divorced, and what I have learned since is very often when a couple divorces and there are, they both stop going to church. And he did not. He continued um, going to church with his daughters. Uh, they tried out various churches that were not necessarily his um, most nurturing environment, but it's where his daughters were best happy and um, helped to grow in the faith. Mm. And it has stuck with both of them Good. throughout all these years. And I just see that his, his faithfulness to community worship and action in church uh, was very important to him and, uh, and something I admired. And so going to his church, which was a, um, a moderate Southern Baptist church, um, 
I did not feel a need to become baptized. I felt my family did that for me way long years ago when I was an infant. Yes, I don't remember it, but um, that particular church did not reach out to me to try to make me become a Baptist, but also they did not tell me why I might want to be a Baptist either. I, um, I guess the pastor was just glad that we were married now finally. <laughs> Um, I feel in a way baptism being a public statement of your faith that for me my marriage my wedding at Parkwood Baptist Church in Annandale Virginia was a little bit like a baptism it was a public statement that I am walking with this man who is a man of faith and um, so I have never yet felt the need to be immersed yeah. Uh, in baptism. Uh, but I will say that when we came here and our first visit with the pastor at that time uh, included a little booklet, I believe written by Bill Leonard. Oh, um, yeah. You know, well He's known. been my professor at Wake Forest yes. Divinity. Someone I've never met. So he has <laughs> preached here, but oh. I was gone at the time when uh, traveling or whatever. When he was here, but he had a booklet about what certain principles of Baptist um, belief, and uh, they all spoke to me. The priesthood of the believer yeah. that you don't have to have a hierarchy telling mm-hmm. you what to do, um, soul competency that mm-hmm. you know, your relationship with God is 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 key, not someone else's. Um, and separation of church and state, autonomy of the local church. All of this sounded a whole lot like the church I grew up in. Yeah. Which I had left at 14, but my parents did not. And so I was still in touch with what was going on at Plymouth Congregational Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm. And in fact, one of the signs to me that this was the right church was that the hymnal (laughs) in... Williamsburg Baptist Church was the 1956 edition of the United Church of Christ hymnal, Pilgrim Hymnal. And I thought, I grew up with this hymnal. I think this is my church. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was also the mother of one of our current members who came and just hugged us on our first or second visit. And she was just so warm and welcoming that it became clear that this was the family uh, we wanted to join into. We've made some friends here that have been important in our lives. Even if they aren't here anymore, uh, they are still some of the most important people in our circle of friends. Um, Been active in pastor searches and other pastoral uh, appointment searches, both my husband and myself. Um, Not because we know any more than anyone else about what will make a good pastor, but because we felt that we called to serve in that role, we should say yes. Um, perhaps you'd like to ask a question somewhere? In, yeah, <laughs> I, I would. Are there any pivotal points within that story that um, were pivotal points in your spiritual journey? Um, beginning to teach Sunday school oh, wow. was important. Uh, Here at Williamsburg Baptist, my husband 
was asked to take on what I called the formerly young adult class. They were a group of people who um, had been, you know, had small children when the class first formed and um, stayed together. And they were no longer, they were on the verge of marrying off those children or having grandchildren <laughs> um, when we joined. But he was asked to help teach and I did teach one class. And I just sort of thought, eh, Maybe not. Maybe this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, preparing uh, the, the kind of discussion and in-depth look. Uh, I just thought, you know, I'm just not really into that. But when I was asked to teach the hmm, fourth and fifth grade class, mm -hmm. I said, yes, I'm available. <laughs> and <laughs> I found the best way to get back in touch with the Bible is by teaching children's Sunday school, because mm -hmm. it's great to revisit some of the important stories. We had a curriculum that also had a lot of information for the teacher. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, for some of the stories, I don't remember this story. And I did read the Bible through uh, once in one of those programs where you uh, read it in a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the worst way to read the Bible, but <laughs> <laughs> teaching Sunday school, you see the stories and aspects of the story that just went right past you reading, yeah. uh, on a schedule. So acting things out with the kids, listening to some of their questions. I had a question from, um, a girl, which was pivotal probably. Uh, for me, she asked, what if this isn't true? Mm -hmm. Now, in the church that I was raised up, doubt was questions. Those were okay. I was raised in a church where you were not told this is what you must believe or that this was all factual. Right. I was not raised that. So I looked at her at first because I wanted to say, well, of course it's not all true. It didn't all happen, but I couldn't say that to a fifth grader. No, that would blow her mind. That's right. That's not something you do for a fifth grader. Um, so we had to talk about what is the difference between a fact hmm. and a perception, how you might understand a fact, which is not all that there is to understand, but that's how you understand it today. And then we had to talk about, well, what's truth? Right. Because truth is a whole lot bigger than a fact or a group of facts um, and harder to get a hold of. Mm -hmm. And that while the Bible gives us truths, we may not understand them today. And when we do think we've understood them in a way that is helpful to us, it might not be the way somebody else has understood it. Hmm. And that is something that I've tried to carry with me the rest of my time. I did eventually graduate to teaching the high school class, where it's even touchier um, to try to understand how do they see this story? Because, gosh, you're just about ready to get out there and drive and then get a job and, or go to college or vote. 
you know, it's important for your perception to be both heard and maybe enlarged. Uh, but uh, it was most fun when there were only girls in the class. And that was very often you'd have six or eight girls and, and none of the guys came that Sunday. So we could talk a little differently. Yeah. As, um, just girls together. I bet those were special times. It was. And in fact, I went through uh, chemotherapy during that time. And mm. I, I was lucky. I, I was having chemotherapy after surgery. And it was meant to be sort of preventative okay. of a return of cancer. Um, so it was not as harsh as some people's chemotherapy. But I just made a, a vow to myself that I was going to show up every Sunday in Sunday school. I didn't always stay for church because sometimes I didn't feel like it and right. sometimes had to avoid possible yeah. infection, a cold or anything. But I wanted those girls to know that breast cancer was not a death sentence mm. um, or didn't have to be and that they were important to me. Oh. I, I don't know whether they got that message or not, but <laughs> I hope so. That's why I was there. And that, you know what, wearing a wig is not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> you can get ready. You don't have to do anything to your hair. You just pull it on. That was not a bad thing. Um, what special motivations you carried with you to, to church, to Sunday school during that time, it sounds like? Yes, it was something that had nothing to do with, you know, my curriculum of, of Sunday school. But it was, it was a, I hoped, you know, something about life that would be meaningful somewhere along the way. Um, the thing about breast cancer is it's so much easier to detect even at the most early stages, but there are going to be more women in our lives who are going to face breast cancer, even if it's not yourself. And uh, I think it's sort of important to see how many people have managed to get through it okay. Um, and of course we have a member of our church who is getting through cancer now treatment uh, wearing the most gorgeous hairpiece. Um, and uh, she is a model to all of us mm. that she is able to come to church so frequently and be the friend and um, stalwart member. And so I'm sort of glad that maybe I followed in her, her path that came later um, a bit too. Um, I also feel that I've followed in my mother's footsteps a little bit with the thrift shop. I also volunteer at Fish, uh, which includes a clothes closet and a food pantry. Uh, the difference is it's not a store. We do not charge clients anything. People who, who need food or clothing come to us and it's, it's totally free to them. Um, but I really felt that was something that, um, you know, my mother probably approved of. Wow. Uh, she passed away just, a little over seven years ago, um, but um, she had a chance to visit us here and come to church and agree that, gosh, this is a lot like uh, Plymouth Congregational. <laughs> How did she feel about that? I think she felt just at home like I did, too. Oh, good. She is someone who lived her entire married life in the same town, in the same church, never moved from church to church. She'd originally, um, my parents were both Methodists originally, but when they moved to Lawrence, Kansas, where the University of Kansas was, they realized a lot of college people went to Plymouth Congregational and that's where they belonged too. 
Mm-hmm. So it was a church that, that valued science and um, uh, practicality of helping people. And um, it was okay to not look for inerrancy in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also the first time that I ever actually thought about welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ uh, persons membership. And um, sometime before we moved here, so we're talking the late middle 1990s. Okay. My mother mentioned in a phone conversation, she said, well, our church is now welcoming and affirming. And I said, great mom, what's that? Um, And this is in the 90s. Yes, this is in the mid 90s. It was certainly before 96 when we moved here. And she explained, she said, well, we're quite happy to have homosexual members of the church. And I said, well, why wouldn't you be? And she said, well, there are a few people who seem to think we shouldn't. But Uh. um, she said the church uh, had talking sessions. So I didn't go to all of them, but we had some. (laughs) Um, And then voted. Mm. As I say, it's an autonomous church, just like a Baptist church. And uh, she said that it seemed ridiculous to not be welcoming and affirming of people. And I said, I think you're right. And then, of course, never thought about it again for some time. Mm. Um, As I say, at that time, we were going to a moderate Southern Baptist church. And it was not something that was ever mentioned in that church, as far as I know, uh, as a person only in the pews. And um, when we came here in 96, it was an issue that apparently some members had talked about, that uh, we ought to at least get a handle on this question. And over the years, it became more and more important, I think, to more of us, including myself, that this is something we need to have a statement on it, you know, to define how we feel and how we feel God wants us to act. Mm. But uh, one of our pastors who was here for over a dozen years, he, he told me once, he said, I was given a bit of advice by an old mentor that one should not preach from doubt, that until one is fully certain about a question, one should not preach on it. Mm. One might talk about it with colleagues, one might look you know, into it and study, but don't preach until you have no doubt. Mm. And apparently this subject is one that he did not um, have certainty on, mm. or perhaps did not see a need for us to address, I don't know. But his successor, his successor pastor here, um, is someone who had addressed his own doubts in his life and his journey. And the pastor search committee um, addressed that issue and to find out what his response would be basically to a question of, would you perform a same-sex marriage? Right. You know, making it a practical question. And um, I believe his, his exact uh, 
response was, I'd have a hard time saying no. Um, and I guess that was considered, okay. That means you're thinking about it, at least. And as, as we went on in this church, um, he led a summer full of, of um, Sunday school, adult Sunday school sessions about the entire issues surrounding people who are not, um, not following the heterosexual path that we've all expected everyone else to do. Um, and it was brilliantly done. Um, he had far more, um, far more ideas and concepts than could possibly even be <laughs> held in my own head. And I was only able to attend a few of them. We did videotape them and somewhere that videotape is probably still in existence. Um, but enough of the church began to think about things and how, mm. Uh, especially young people who are finding themselves um, feeling different, feeling other, mm -hmm. and then also being bullied right. or um, being, you know, pressured by parents mm -hmm. or other, you know, authority figures to conform to an, a different path. Um, how this, you know, has mental health repercussions, which often, unfortunately, lead to suicide attempts and sometimes successes. And that, to me, was the major thing. It was just like, no, that is wrong that children or young adults or anyone should be told they cannot be who they feel called to be in whatever way. And whether that is gender identity, whether that is whom they love, you know, whether that is what kind of music they like. I mean, there are just ways of, um, there's so much pressure on from different groups and a church is a group that can exert a lot of pressure if it wants to. Right. Um, people to conform mm -hmm. in different ways. And um, I, I am not, I don't want to make other people conform to whatever I might think on a particular issue. Um, I did also do, my uh, master's degree is in theater and drama, so I worked with uh, a lot of dramatic people and a lot of artistic people who, um, yes, I could see they were, you know, differently interested in other people. Um, maybe even a pivotal moment was when a young man that I was interested in um, kind of looked at me in such a way and it was sort of like, I'd just taken him home for Thanksgiving dinner, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like, uh, no, there's no future for us <laughs> because I am interested in someone else. But I thought to myself, but you know, I like him so much as a person. Okay. We'll be friends. And it, and I've just carried that person in, in my heart a little bit in that sense of, how could I put someone down just because they are interested in a person of the same sex? Um, so for my own journey in that respect, um, I feel I was a little more open at first, but then I kind of got sucked into a, a, a culture that you know was not interested in LGBTQ right. issues. 
and that coming here to this church where it was gradually opening up, I could learn more. I could, I could understand more. Maybe I hope I was understanding more. Um, and certainly being accepting, uh, of people as just another child of God, just like me in every way, except this. And that's a little bit like thinking, okay, I really am not interested in participating in sports. Mm -hmm. There are some people who are truly interested in participating in sports and it is the most important thing in the world to them. And to me, it's not. So, okay, there are sports people and there are non-sports people, you know. And I just don't see it as any more valid for me to make a decision about a person's life than it is for me to say, no, you shouldn't go out for football, or no, you shouldn't <laughs> play basketball. Um, that's just that's just not for me to say. Right. And um, and I am so glad that our church has found ways to proact be proactive uh, about making clear that as a church we are welcoming. A lot of churches say they're welcoming, but apparently they're not very affirming. Right. I hope we are. Mm -hmm. I hope, I, and I hope that anyone who, if they feel they got a non-affirming comment from somebody at our church, I hope they will address that with Art or someone else that they feel safe with. Right. Um, that we can explore that mm. because these kind of that kind of misunderstanding or having to just simply say okay well that's how that person feels but you know they're still part of this church and they know what this church stands for um so there must be something about this person who doesn't want to be very openly affirmative of me but there must be something about them that keeps them here yeah and you know we're not the hoity-toity church in town that you join because it is the hoity-toity church <laughs> um, there are towns where there is a hoity-toity church and there might be one here in this town or two <laughs> but we aren't it you know yeah. we are a church that is scrambling to pay the bills hmm. and we have lost a lot of not a lot, but we have lost some members over the years because they just could not see where this church was moving on the issue of being welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ brothers and sisters and siblings, sorry, of all sorts. Um, it sounds like um, your time here at this church has just opened up so much um, productive questioning within your spiritual life, like with Sunday school and like... Mm -hmm getting to dig back into scripture and then moving to be welcoming and affirming church. Um, it sounds like your involvement here has really heightened that part of your. Oh, it has. It has. I mean, I have, I have read so much more and I enjoy reading blogs, short mm -hmm. pieces, and I enjoy reading books too that <laughs> make me think differently. Yeah. Or, understand something or bring just something, an idea that I had never thought of before. Um, for instance, 
I have started reading Brian McLaren's, not his new book, but one back, The Great Spiritual Migration. I don't know that one. Um, well, it's, it's about migration, meaning more than one person, obviously, <laughs> uh, moving toward a more progressive understanding of scripture and God's call and, and our life as church. But, and it's, it's quite an in-depth book without being academic. But one thing he introduces is the word corrigible. C-O-R-R-I-G-A-B-L-E, corrigible. Normally that word is used in the negative, being incorrigible. You incorrigible child. Will you never learn to, you know, put your clothes in the, in the laundry hamper? That you are, if you are incorrigible, that used to be uh, applied to juvenile delinquents mm -hmm. a lot, that they would never reform. You are incorrigible. But basically it means unable to change. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody is truly unable to change. Right. That we are corrigible people. Mm -hmm. I think the word that is most often used in the church is transformation. Mm -hmm. That we can change from one thing to another. Um, and I'm pretty sure that anybody who met me in high school and college would be really surprised at the transformation in me mm -hmm. from who I was then to being a church lady now. But it's, it's, it's small ways too. Right. So this idea of I am corrigible, I am changeable. I don't have to change because somebody tells me to right. or threatens me with hellfire. Um, but I think change, of course, comes more slowly. <laughs> um, that God speaks to us over time and opens us up through other people as well as books and um, sermons. I am someone who often gets stuck in the middle of a sermon because the pastor has said something that I just, I have to think about this for a while. And once I finally start thinking through it, I realize, oh, he's doing the benediction already. <laughs> Time to <laughs> sing again, you know. Um, I've missed out on half of it. So maybe it's a good thing we're on Facebook now. Um, <laughs> but that we have the ability to change and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but... True, we have to make sure that that change is coming from a, a force or a power that is for good and is mm. for love. Um, it's rather than an authoritarian perspective. Gosh, where have I got to here with this? Um, I, that is really interesting, bringing up corrigible mm -hmm. as, as a word and definitely something to think on as right. how we all gradually change and as the spirit moves through our lives. Exactly. And I think rarely do I feel like God is speaking to me right this minute. Um, but I have had some, you know, just glimpses where, yeah, probably he did, you know, clutch me by the neck and say, hey, um, one of them 
probably almost 20 years ago now, 15, 20 years ago, was someone I was dealing with at Fish, another mm -hmm. um, member of the board, who was very much um, a my way or the highway kind of person. And at Fish, where everyone is a volunteer, and that means everyone really at least needs to be heard. Uh, but this person was just ragging me, I mean, week after week, mm -hmm. about various things that I just thought were not very important. Uh, but that person had been there longer than I, had much more experience. I felt, you know, I can't just flat out say, oh, shut up, <laughs> you know. Right. So I did not do that. But there was one day when I was just, I was leaving, I was so upset about something that person had said. And all of a sudden I thought, well, I am turning her over to God. Hmm. And after that, I felt very different about her. I felt very different about, I felt lighter. You know, that load had been lifted. And to be honest, I think it was not long after that that she retired from fish. But <laughs> I, I just simply said, and it's, again, a partly what you said in your last sermon at the church, most recent sermon, um, about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I did not void, think of it as forgiveness of this person, but you, know, you do not have to do it all yourself. No. Forgiveness is a process or a, a transformation, perhaps, um, that God meets us halfway or more than halfway, perhaps. Um, and so I've tried to remember that with other people that have gotten on my case occasionally <laughs> <laughs> or on my last nerve, um, that, you know what, mm, God can have them. Um, I, you know, if I can't change them and, um, I'm not going to change me to suit what I think mm -hmm. is a wrong attitude. Um, I'm just going to let God deal with it. What a beautiful perspective on that as well. Well, and it turns out that person as um, difficult yeah. as she could be had a big giving heart underneath it all. Mm. Um, and that's why she was at Fish. I mean, you, you don't volunteer at Fish uh, unless you realize, you know, yeah, the idea is to give people yes. what they need. <laughs> or what they say they need, not what you think they need. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, I, um, I think there's much to be said about churches in that respect too. Uh, when people have left our church, and I'm the clerk of the role, so I, I do keep tabs on who's here and who's not here. Um, I'm always happy if they find another church, you know, because you need to be in a group where you are comfortable. And if this is not the one, for whatever reason, no way am I going to say, oh, please come back, please come back. But I'm going to affirm that, oh, I'm so glad you're happy there. I'm glad that that's the right one for you. Um, we've, you know, we've also had people come to the church and we have the, 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 um, the status of friend of WBC. 
And part of the purpose of that, which is different from full membership, <laughs> um, because they may have another church that they still love and they would see it as giving up that church to come to us. And we don't, I, I, I have told people, at least three different people, like there is nothing wrong in the world with having two churches you love. No. And we're not gonna stand in the way of that. We're just happy to have you here when you're here. Mm. Um, because, you know, why should a family, for instance, feel, okay, one person gets to decide, we're all going here, always we're going here. Uh, I think it's great that some of our folks go to one church some Sundays, another church some days. We have one family that goes to two churches in one day because they love them both. That's and a blessing. It is a blessing. They're a blessing yeah. to us. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're a blessing to the other church too. Mm -hmm. And why should we say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so. Something I'm interested in that you were talking about earlier in your pivotal moments mm -hmm. in Sunday school um, mm -hmm. and teaching Sunday school. And you said that it was um, helped you visit older stories mm -hmm. in, a, in a new light. Were there yeah. any... Any stories in particular from the Bible that the kiddos just um, brought like a new perspective to for you? Mm, um, I love the one about um, one of the parables where the king, I think he's a king, I can't remember exactly. I, I don't memorize um, verses and chapter numbers and things ne like neither that. Neither do I. I'm not big on numbers. <laughs> um, the king invites a whole bunch of people to a party or mm -hmm. to dinner. That this is a big festivity and here go out the invitations to all these important people in the kingdom and nobody shows. Mm -hmm. Now, the first thing that has always taught me is it is really depressing when you put a lot of work into a party and people don't show. Yeah. Um, so showing up is really important <laughs> in life. <laughs> but also... And whether that's a Zoom meeting or something else, show up, show up as best you can. Yeah. Um, but then the king says, well, fine, go out on the streets and bring everybody in. Uh, and, and, you know, these are people just off the street. They are not important people. But I am giving a party and whoever you can get to come in, we're going to party. Um, and we acted that out. That was oh. one of the things that was fun to act out um, in, in the group. But there is also the part where there's something about clothing. Hmm. In one of the stories, uh, the king says, yes, come into my party, but you're not dressed right. Hmm. And so they, they go and get robes to put on the people for the party. And that's a secondary sort of meaning in there. And I think we had a hard time deciding about that. Mm -hmm. Because after all, in today's world, we don't feel we have to dress up to come to church. Some folks do. And if they feel that that's how they want to dress, great. Um, I'm so glad to be in the choir because it doesn't really matter what I'm wearing underneath <laughs> that robe. Um, but that there was something about the king that although he wanted everybody to come, he wanted them in the appropriate way to come for the party 
that the event that was planned, what does that mean? You know, should you take a bath? Should you put on your best shoes? What if you don't have any best shoes? Do we not want the, the grubby people to come um, to church? Because, of course, it is a sense of you know, coming to the gathering of right. uh, a corporate gathering, worship or, or celebration. Um, I, I think that's that's also part of you know being welcoming and affirming. Yeah. That you may have felt uh, that you weren't worthy because you've been told that by somebody or a lot of somebody's uh, that you weren't worthy to come to the church or to come to whatever event or party um, because you didn't have the right something. You weren't mm -hmm. the right person. You didn't have the right heart. Well, my gosh, what's a church for except to let people open their hearts yeah. to God? Um, it's, uh, so I, 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 I think about that time. And it, I don't think that was the time that Sarah asked, what if it's not true? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a different story, probably. Um, one other thing I'd like to say, I... <laughs> Every so often my husband complains when visitors come to church and they somehow expect us to be just like their church back mm. home. And they had one lady who said, you know, because they were looking at a particular book and going through what, um, you know, in this case, Desmond Tutu had to say about something. And her response was at the end of the, she said, she said she sat through very politely. But her response at the end was, I don't know what kind of church you are here. But we study the word of God and took her Bible and held it up. Um, not the word of man. We mm. study the word of God, not the word of man. As if the Bible were not written down by humans. But um, we also have received some of our theology, or at least been able to express some of our theology, I think my husband and I, from one series of a British comedy, Britcoms, they're called now, <laughs> from, I think it was made in the 1970s or possibly early 80s, but it took place in the 1950s, and it's called uh, Bless Me Father, mm -hmm. and it's about an Irish Catholic priest and his new curate, you know, his new associate, mm -hmm. who's right out of seminary, and... Um, and the old grumpy old priest, I mean, you know, he, he doesn't mind offending other people. But at one point, somebody finally says to him, but Father Dalswell, don't you believe in hell? Hmm. He said, of course I believe in hell. But who but an idiot would believe that a loving God would send anyone there? Oh, wow. <laughs> and... <laughs> And of course, he said it with an Irish accent. Who but an idiot, an idiot would send anyone there. I know. Um, that openness expressed in a in a hilarious way. Um, I have stuck with both my husband and myself. Mm. I think that um, God is loving. God isn't out there to punish anybody. Mm. Um, and. This church, I think, has pretty much that same general mindset, you know, that they're 
we don't talk about hell very much in this church, and threatening people with that is uh, would be counterproductive in the first place. But um, I think I see it more that. I'm trying to find the right words now that Father Duddleswell said it so perfectly. Um, that salvation, which is another big word, of course, mm -hmm. with uh, a lot of Baptists. Um, I often say, oh, I think uh, you've got to be baptized every day as you wake up every morning and set your face toward God and trying to find what God wants you to do today and hope that toward the end of the day you didn't go too far off the rails. Um, but that salvation is not the most important uh, in terms of salvation from hell, mm -hmm. going to a heaven, uh, is, is to me not what guides my day. It is salvation more in the sense of, as the Lord's Prayer puts it, you know, don't lead me into temptation and delivering me from evil, please. Today, just today, I'm mm -hmm. looking for what is it important for me to do today? Um, and it's hard to focus just on today. Oh, it is. So we're such, you know... I find myself often worrying about mm -hmm. what's much farther from today. Well, graduate school will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> the the schedules for t you know today, tomorrow, and next week, and, and a month from now, and then what classes have you got to get, or you know dissertations and all those things you have to do, and then a job um, that can get to you. There's no doubt about that. And I went through all those same worries, especially when I learned through my master's program was, I really did not want to try to make my living from theater and drama. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did teach high school English for one year, um, which uh, included a little bit of theater stuff for the kids. But um, after that, I decided I really didn't want to be a high school English teacher. And I wanted to find a job that would, uh, where, my satisfaction would be based on my own work, mm -hmm. not what I could bring out of other people. Uh, at that time, I just, you know, I just didn't see, I, I didn't have the right teacher mentality. Um, and so that's why Sunday school had, was fun because, you know, for one hour a week, you can worry about bringing <laughs> something out of these kids and not worrying about, well, are they going to be able to get a job at the end of high school and, and be able to fill out a form with their name and their address and all spelled correctly. Um, I found that one year of high school teaching was very stressful. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were discipline issues, of course, too. I spent every lunch hour, 20 minutes of my lunch, my 40-minute lunch break, I spent 20 minutes guarding a hallway where there were classes going on oh, wow. and you know half the class half mm. the school went to lunch and half the class had classes and telling the same kids over and over no you cannot go to your locker no you cannot go get your pencil no you cannot go do that and i i really hated that until i began to realize you know what no 
Those kids want some attention, don't they? <laughs> they know they can't go to their locker, but they still come and ask me every other day. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot uh, as a teacher for one year, but I also learned I wasn't there at that time of my life. Mm. And it would still be, it would be infinitely harder now. My older stepdaughter is a high school English teacher uh, at Bethel High School in Hampton. And um, my goodness, what a hard life. I could not do that now. I'm, you know. Teaching is, is no joke, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but it is part of the church's mission Yeah. to teach in a, such a way, I hope, that it really almost seems like it's coming from within the child, you know, mm. however old that child has to be. And, you know, you could be 67 years old and still having to learn. Um, thank heavens, I'm, I'm still corrigible. <laughs> As we move towards the end of our time here, um, I'm just kind of wondering, like, what do you see for the future of the church? Are there any projects or uh, things that you're excited about? But are there any energies that you feel within the church? Well, I was really excited about the prospects of us being able to build an an elevator, even if it would only connect the worship um, sanctuary with the social hall down below. That's a very limited part of this church because as I tell people, especially who come for funerals and are walking up all the steps and walking down the steps that we must have had an architectural contest to see who could put the most steps <laughs> oh, into no. this church. Um, the ability for people to participate is really key. And accessibility is yeah. one way. Timing of different events is another thing. It's difficult to find what's the best time. I would love to go uh, to the family game nights. Hmm. Um, but Saturday night just doesn't really work for me from a bio, you know, my, my, my bio rhythms are gone at that point. Um, I don't know. So maybe if it was on Tuesday, I mm. would go or something. But, um, you know, it's hard to find that in a corporate body. When is the best time to get the most people available right. and, and to come for something? Um, and But the fact that there is so much going on, the bulletin boards, I, I that's one of the few little things I still do related to communications is put old, you know, old-fashioned stuff on an old-fashioned bulletin board, and there's not enough room. For all the new stuff that was popping up this last month of summer, mm -hmm. summer used to be the dead time. I mean, you would just literally say that, oh, nothing happens in church during the summer, or oh, don't even, you know, we don't expect anybody to come during the summer. And that whole bulletin board, I, I have two things that I didn't have room for this, this week, I, you know, I had to take down. There is so much going on in this church. Um, part of it is because we are using technology uh, Yay, for podcast. some of the things we do and we make open to people that three years ago, even four years ago, we would never have thought. Oh, mm -hmm. no. I mean, there are some people in this church who have really become technology focused. And I guarantee you five years ago, they would have sat there with their arms folded and say, we don't need that. We don't need that. But I also love the fact that we have done it with virtually no cost. Yes, we have bought a few little microphones. We've bought a little bit of, a little tiny bit of hardware. Um, 
that older stepdaughter, her church, her, her husband is um, someone in charge of audiovisual things. They just spent something on the order of $35,000 at the wow. beginning of the pandemic to make their um, live streaming really spectacular. Not spectacular. I don't mean, you know, fireworks yeah. or anything. But to have... But a lot of equipment. A lot of equipment. They put a lot of money into it. I'm sure it's really good. In fact, I really ought to check in and see what their, what their service looks like uh, from online mm. pers perspective. But I will also say the one thing they did, which I think we heard a little bit of allusion to today in the meeting we just attended in congregational care. They sent out... Not just deacons necessarily, but mm -hmm. somebody from the church came to show the people who were not very technically savvy mm -hmm. already, went to their homes to help set them up so they could watch and to make sure it would work for them and that it was easy for them to use it. And I just thought, why didn't we think about that? We just assume, you know, that anybody who's younger than 100 is going to be able to use a computer at home. Well, of course, not everybody has one. <laughs> but uh, they went that extra step to ensure that people could be connected. That's really special. We do have one member here in this church that she and her husband just gave up the computer some time mm -hmm. ago. And we went, they really did try various ways to try to, to get it to her. But... Um, technology just wasn't working for her, and um, that that really broke my heart when I heard that you know she wasn't able to watch us. But luckily, in one sense, she's back, coming yeah. sitting in the pews, <laughs> and so we hope there'll be much more of that. Oh, good. Well, I agree with you. There's so much excitement and energy happening in the church, and um, and you're a big part of it, and. Well, I'm part of the old fogies in many ways, <laughs> but I hope that I'm open to listening to what other people are proposing. That's the other thing I've tried to do more of. Um, maybe it was a January 1st resolution. I'm not sure, but I need to listen more instead of speaking. So I'm glad to see that we're almost done here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have so enjoyed hearing your story as we end are there any things that we can pray with you about? Any prayer requests or things that we can well, keep Well, um, I, I, um, I have family. Ed has family. A lot of them have needs that have kind of, I think, we don't really know about, shall we say. So if you could pray for my family and Ed's family. I would um, love to. I would appreciate that. Okay. Would you all pray? join us in prayer? Almighty God, thank you for Kathy and thank you for all of the ways that you've worked and will continue to work in her life. God, we lift up both her and Ed's family. Please be with them and present in their lives. God, continue to wrap this congregation in your love and light and continue to work in all the ways that you have. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you stuck around this long, thanks so much for listening, and um, we'll be back soon. Bye!